You are Locked On Kentucky, your daily podcast on the Kentucky Wildcats, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, what's going on, Big Blue Nation? Welcome on into Locked On Kentucky, your daily Kentucky Wildcats podcast. I'm your host, Lance Dahl, writer for Sports Illustrated for various SEC-related things, but on this podcast specifically, we take a dive into all things Kentucky athletics. Today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. That is Bet Online where the game starts. On today's episode of Locked On Kentucky, we are going to be addressing the SEC slate. It is finally upon us. We've been talking about this since I want to say maybe June or July about how difficult this may be in a tier. And guys, I think it's going to be difficult. The question I want to ask on today's episode is how worried should Kentucky be about the SEC conference slate? How worried should they be? And then on top of that, who are the Wildcats going to have to rely on most during this time. Thank you so much for making Locked On Kentucky your first listen every single day. I want to remind everybody out there that we are free and available on all platforms, including YouTube. So if you are not subscribed there, it would mean a ton if you would subscribe to the channel. All right, let's go ahead and get into it. How worried should the Wildcats be about the SEC schedule? Well, there is a game coming up here in just a few days. That we actually, if you've been listening to this podcast, have been talking about for almost three weeks. Actually, at the time that this game tips off, it will be right at three weeks since we pointed out this game on the schedule. We have been saying the SEC opener for the Kentucky Wildcats will be a challenge. And we were told to watch this team with interest. Well, I want to go ahead and tell you, the Missouri Tigers, who are not uh, looked upon fondly, by Ken Palm, I would say, and some other some other metrics out there. They went, as we suggested, 2-1 during their three games before they played the Wildcats, Kansas, UCF, and Illinois. They were blown out by Kansas, who is one of the better teams in the entire country, who the Wildcats will actually have to play. We'll get to them in just a little bit, actually. UCF, they beat by two. And then at a neutral site against a top 25 team in Illinois. I believe they were ranked 16th at the time that the, this game occurred. The Missouri Tigers beat Illinois 93 to 71. They beat them 93 to 71. And if you've been listening to the show, you know that the Tigers have a very, very serious offense. In fact, I want to roll a clip from the time that we talked about these guys on December 7th, uh, just a few weeks ago. Let's go ahead and roll it. Speaking of a team that I think that we need to take seriously, that I did not expect that we would have to take seriously, the Missouri Tigers. Okay, hear me out, hear me out, hear me out. They are currently 8-0, right? They play no defense. They have played nobody worth a rip. But they're fun. And on top of that, I think they're going to be interesting because of where they fall on the schedule for Kentucky. Missouri plays with an insane amount of tempo. They're second nationally in points per game at 93 a night. They've got a dude with a really cool name named Demoy Hodge. That's D apostrophe M-O-I Hodge. That's such a dope name. Uh, he's currently averaging almost 17 a game for them. He's shooting 50, 40, 80, which is nuts. Missouri also has a first-year head coach. I don't really trust yet because they've not played anyone, but definitely an interesting team to watch. Kentucky plays them to open the SEC slate here on December 28th, 
that is a space to watch for the Wildcats. So you look at Kentucky, there are three games before that. Yale, UCLA, Florida A&M, right? You get a little bit of a reprieve there after you play UCLA. You've got to keep them on watch. For Missouri, though, there are three games before they play the Wildcats. Kansas, UCF, and Illinois. If they get through that 2-1, and one, we sit up and we pay attention. This is a team that I think we need to take seriously because of how well they're shooting the basketball right now. Playing in Columbia, if that team is ranked, okay, if that Missouri team is 10-1 and one and they are ranked by the time that we get to play them, that is going to be an interesting game. That's all I'm going to say. That is going to be a very interesting game. The only thing I can say to you guys is watch that space. We're going to be paying attention to it now. Let's not let it catch us by surprise here in just a few weeks. Pay attention to the Missouri Tigers. You know how whenever you get into playing a video game at home and you're just hanging out on your couch and you're kind of in like this relaxed position and then as the game starts to progress, you realize that things are a little bit more serious. Your opponent's actually a little bit better than maybe you anticipated and you start to sit up. You start to pay attention, really, really get in what's going on. If the Wildcats don't do that heading into this game, if they don't sit up in the chair and play the game the way that they know they can play it, it's going to be a very, very tough challenge. Missouri, like we just talked about, very, very good offensively. Their defense is not particularly good. In fact, they're actually one of the worst teams in the nation in terms of offensive rebounding. Could be a great spot for Oscar Shibway in this matchup if he does not draw fouls like he has as much this season. But point being, this is one of the most efficient offenses in the, the entire country. It's going to give Kentucky problems. I know it is. Do we know? Let, let, let me go ahead and tell you why this could be a really, really rough game for the Wildcats right out the gates in SEC play. You know, let's go back to the Michigan State game. You know what gave Kentucky fits in that game. And it was Tom Izzo drawing up stuff at the end of regulation and overtime on the offensive end that Kentucky defensively did not have an answer for. It was pulling players away from the basket, and it was getting looks at the rim. This is what this is what Missouri does so well. If you want to go back and watch that Illinois game, several times they caught Illinois sleeping on action where they would set two screens and they would have somebody on the opposite side of the half court cut to the basket. It would be perfect distraction. You are going to see so many different slips and things like that to the basket in this game, and I really, really hope that Kentucky has been doing their scouting and their prepping for this because it's going to happen a lot. They are one of the best teams in the entire country in two-point percentage. They shoot 61.6% inside the arc, do the Missouri Tigers. And the weirdest part about it is you may say, well, they've got a bunch of tall players. They just go run and dunk. They are 309th nationally in average height. They're one of the shortest teams in the entire country, and they are getting to the rim, and they are finishing. That is a sign of really, really good X's and O's on the offensive end. Dennis Gates, the head coach, first year at Missouri. He spent three years prior to that at Cleveland State. Before that, he was not coaching in Division I. This guy is going to be interesting to see what he does with the Tigers moving forward. But I'm telling you all of this to let you know that last year, whenever Kentucky played against Missouri, it was a cakewalk, right? Kentucky just kind of blew right through it. Oscar Shibway had a really good game. If I'm not mistaken, somebody in particular broke an assist record in that game. Maybe, maybe not. But point being, this was a really, really easy contest for the Wildcats last year. It's going to be in Como this year. It's going to be serious. We need to be aware of what's going on so that this doesn't shock anybody. And to be honest with you, after that UCLA, UCLA loss, I don't think this game is going to be shocking anybody. 
I just don't. I, I think that people are kind of going to be not necessarily accepting, but just understanding that this, if a loss occurs here, it happens, right? Because it's not going to come out of the blue. So the Missouri game is one thing, the opener. But you need to look at the rest of this SEC slate, and I'm going to go ahead and give you my prediction for the, for the Wildcats. For the rest of the season, what their record is at the end of the year. So right now, Kentucky is 8-3. and three. I'm going to go through the rest of the SEC slate right now. I'm just going to tell you. I'm not going to tell you which games they win and lose. I'm just going to run through it. If you want to count on your hands with me to kind of count up wins and losses, you can absolutely do that. There is Louisville and there is Florida. Or, excuse me, there is Louisville and there is Kansas as the non-conference games that are left. We're going to count those two, even though we're not going to count them towards their, obviously, their conference record. So you've got Louisville after Missouri. LSU at home. At Alabama. South Carolina at home. At Tennessee, Georgia at home, Texas A&M at home, Vanderbilt on the road, Kansas at home, Ole Miss on the road, Florida at home, Arkansas at home, Georgia on the road, Mississippi State on the road, Tennessee at home, Florida on the road, Auburn at home, Vanderbilt at home, and to wrap, wrap things up, you've got Arkansas on the road in Bud Walton Arena. So if you want to go pull this schedule up, you absolutely can. Give your predictions in the comments below. We're right now we're eight and three. What do you think we finish? Do you think Kentucky gets to 20 wins after hearing all of those tough contests? LSU, AM. You get you get to play Kansas at home. You get the, the, the game that we thought Kentucky was going to kind of double down on the blowout that they they gave the, the Jayhawks in in, in the, the fog last year. Don't know if that's necessarily going to be happening this year, just based on what we've seen. You've got two, you've got two games against Florida, two games against Arkansas, two games against Tennessee. Does Kentucky get to 20 wins based on the way that they played? I mean, there's absolutely a possibility that they do. Heck, they could win out for all, for all we know. We don't know. But based on the product that we've seen, I've got, them going, I've got them going 19 and 12, 10 and 8 in the SEC. That's just what I've got. And you may say, that's insane, Lance. What the heck? That's 19 wins. That's crazy. It's only, according to Kim Palm, two conference wins off of what they predict. I've got the Wildcats losing two more games than Kim Palm does. And you may say, well, that's a little pessimistic. Oh, yeah, Kim Palm thought we were winning the UCLA game, if I'm not mistaken, earlier in the year. They thought that we were winning that one. They also thought that we were beating Michigan State. So it doesn't really necessarily matter what the the projections think or what I think, right? It's all about whether or not Kentucky can kind of churn things around and get things together. They're going to have to get some of these guys playing really, really well, kind of heating up. And there's one guy in particular outside of three collectively that I want to highlight here. Who is Kentucky going to have to rely on the most during this slate? I want to get to that in a second. But just want to let you guys know, did you know that driving high is considered driving under the influence? In fact, driving under the influence of marijuana is against the law in every single state, even in states where marijuana is legal. That means driving high could get you a DUI. And if you think law enforcement officers can't tell when you're driving high, you're just simply wrong. Your friends can tell, your coworkers can tell, your parents can tell, everybody can tell. So what makes you think that law enforcement officers don't know when you're driving high? Driving under the influence of marijuana can slow your response time and change how you perceive time and speed. So even if you think you're fine to drive when you're high, you're not. You're simply not. Because the bottom line is, if you feel different, you drive different. Simple as that. And driving high is driving under the influence. So remember, drive high, get a DUI.
All right, continuing along here on the Friday edition of Locked On, Kentucky Lance Daw here with you. So 19 and 12, 10 and 8 in the SEC is what I have the Wildcats going if things don't change. Now, obviously, things could definitely turn around here, and so that's what I want to get to. There are certain players on this roster that I think could definitely outshine the inefficiencies of this coaching staff, and let's just go ahead and get it out in the open. I think Kentucky, from an X's and O's standpoint, is failing these kids. I'm not blaming the players. I think there are some things that you can blame the, the, the lack of success on this season. Yeah, absolutely, free throw shooting is one of them. But at the end of the day, I think a lot of what's going on has to go back to what Coach Cal and what this, co- what this coaching staff is getting the, these kids to do. Because some of you want to argue the fact that this team is not talented. No, I believe they're talented. I believe they've got pieces, and it's really, really difficult. And I saw a comment about this recently, and I don't necessarily know what my response is to it. One of you recently told me that, that the assumption could be made that they, or I think you just about, you know, I think you claimed it, that all of the, the five stars and the talent that Kentucky has on the roster, they misevaluated. The, every single major piece they misevaluated. I just find that so hard to believe based on the track record that not just Cal has, but some of the assistant coaches have in evaluating and finding talent. I mean, you sort out all the five stars, you, you, you're bound to get some good ones. It's not like you miss on every single one. You've got a national player on the year of the year on your roster, for goodness sakes. I mean, he wasn't even a five-star. So obviously, talent evaluation is something that this coaching staff isn't terrible at. So I, I wouldn't necessarily say that they've missed on every single player. I think Chris Livingston is good. I think Kaysen Wallace is phenomenal. Obviously, Oscar Shibway is really good. I think you've got pieces on this roster that just have not been developed in the proper way, or at least uh, maybe I shouldn't say that. They've not been utilized in the proper way in this college game. They're not being given the right tools and they're not being told to do the right things, I think, especially when it comes to what's going on on the offensive end. Three players I want to get to here that I think Kentucky is going to have to rely on the most heading into this SEC slate. And again, it all starts with the Missouri game. I don't know why I just got a really weird feeling about this season and this Mizzou game. I don't know. I just don't know. Kaysen Wallace, I think, is going to be the biggest piece for Kentucky moving forward. Some of you may say Oscar Sheebway is going to be that guy. I definitely think that he is going to be a factor. I think he's going to be getting his 15 and 15 a game, essentially, throughout conference play. But what makes a good team great? It's their guard play. What makes a good team great in the tournament? It's their guard play. It's the guys on the perimeter that can do all the things that championship teams need. They need outside shooting, they need perimeter defense, and they need somebody that can run an offense. Kaysen Wallace can do all of that. He's averaging 12 points a game, 4.4 assists, 4 rebounds, 2.5 steals. He's shooting 50% from the floor, 50% from three. That 54% from the foul line is absolutely abysmal, and I would not trust him to take a free throw over even Oscar Shibway, but still... He's one of the most efficient players outside of the foul stripe on this team. And I think that you're going to need to get the most out of him moving forward. Against uh, FAMU, he had 27 points. We're actually going to talk about that game to recap, or briefly recap it to end this show later on. But yeah, I think Case and Wallace, people are starting to come around to, hey, I think this guy needs more minutes. Will he start? No, I don't think he's ever going to start over Severe Wheeler. But this is something that we talked about on a recent episode about Kaysen Wallace versus Severe Wheeler. I've been a supporter of a Severe Wheeler since I started this podcast about a year and a month ago. I've always said, look, he is really, really good at what he does best, and I don't think that, that, that his inefficiencies cause his, his starting position to be taken away. He's got 6.3 assists per game. Not a lot of guys can do that. But also, 
whenever he's shooting 41% from the floor and 36% from three, as opposed to Wallace's efficient numbers, you kind of start to maybe really reevaluate things. And maybe that's something that Cal did against FAMU. We're going to talk about the lineup and the rotation later on in the show. I don't think that that's going to be consistent. At least I, I hope it is consistent what happened against FAMU. But yeah, Wallace needs to be more of a factor moving forward. I think he needs more of those minutes. And a lot of people are starting to come around to realize that he's really, really good on offense. He's really, really good on defense. He, as he continues to develop, he's going to become more comfortable in late game situations. And whenever he's pressured, he's going to be okay. I think he's going to learn how to, how to handle that. But as of right now, he's my number one. He's the guy I think Kentucky needs to to rely on the most during this slate. He's gonna, I think he's going to come up clutch. I think he's got the opportunity to do so. Second player, obviously, Oscar Shibway. I think that this kid is obviously, I've said obviously like a million times here, he's going to get his 15 and 15. He's going to do what Oscar Shibway does, which is just grab rebounds, be aggressive at the rim, and he's going to be a National Player of the Year candidate at the end of the season. Now, you may say, Lance, again, I want to reiterate, why do you have Cason Wallace over Oscar Shibway? Oscar Shibway is the reigning National Player of the Year. A couple of reasons. Number one, the foul trouble for Oscar so far this season. Like we've mentioned, I think it was about a week ago after that, um, after the Michigan game. He struggled with on, on the defensive end of not drawing as many fouls as he does, and it's kept him out of some games and, and really important moments. In fact, in that Michigan game, Uganda and Yenzo had to step in, and he played really well in, in, in Shibwe's absence. But if he continues to foul the way that he has, this league, I don't necessarily, I don't want to say is going to eat him alive, but man, if you listen to me last season, what was consistently the scouting report on some of these mid to lower tiers in the SEC? They like to foul a lot. They play aggressive defense. They overplay because they don't have the athletes to keep up. So to compensate, they just foul. They put you on the line. They say, make your free throws. South Carolina, Missouri, actually, Georgia, Mississippi State, some of those teams. Vanderbilt was another one of those teams. I think that if you're going to get your 15 and 15, you got to be a little bit better on the defensive end of the floor. And I'm not saying she weighs awful. I'm just saying he's not as good as he could be. And that's kind of held him back in a couple matches this year. I keep going back to that Michigan State game because it shook me, man. But that, at the end of the regulation and overtime, before he, before he fouled out, I mean, that was the struggle, right? That's what he gave up a bucket to, to let the game continue. So while he is offensively dominant, and he's really, really good at what he does best, I think that Kaysen Wallace's value, if he meets the expectations that a lot of people have set for him, is going to be more prominent, I think, in some of these close games if Kentucky is to win them. And then Oscar will be like, and there's the reigning national player of the year getting his 15 and 15. It also may help, to be honest with you, if Casey Wallace is, is performing at peak capacity and Shibwe is sort of that second guy because if, if Wallace becomes more of the priority for opponents, then it does open up stuff for Oscar Shibwe now, doesn't it? The third player I want to get to here, and you may say, Lance, you're probably just going to go down through the line and you're going to talk about, uh, you're going to talk about you know, Severe Wheeler or Antonio Reeves or one of the guys that's scoring a lot. Jacob Toppin, I think, is the third player Kentucky's going to have to rely on. We've talked about it. Not enough, I don't think, on this show. And I've heard a lot of you in the comments really, really put an emphasis on this. Guys, our four, our power forward, the rotation there is not good. It's not where it needs to be. 
Ten and a half points per game per, for for uh, Toppin is actually surprising to me, considering how he's been playing. He's shooting forty percent from uh, from the floor and fifteen percent from three. And I know that you know there are a lot of the conversation that we have here is just looking at you know just overhead stats and not really diving into what things mean. But let's take the numbers away for a second. Just watch the film. You cannot have your four consistently taking mid-range pull-up jumpers and missing as often as he does. You can't have it. If you're trying to run an efficient offense and you're trying to do new things in the half court and you're making an effort to try and score and be better than you have been in some of the bigger games this season, you've got to be able to get the best shot. Get the best shot up on every possession. And I'm not going to lie to you, I think most of the shots that Jacob Toppin takes are not the best shots on every possession. He was 2 of 10 in the 10-point loss to UCLA. He had 5 points. These last 3 games, 4 points, 5 points, 4 points. He played 32, 24, and 19 minutes in those games. He had 20 in, in the game against North Florida. He had 16 in the game against Gonzaga only because he shot 18 times. He shot 40% from the floor in that game, by the way. No, 39, excuse me. So he's not doing a whole lot great for for uh, for Kentucky right now, and I can't speak to what he's been doing on the defensive end. I've been watching him that intently. But offensively, I think it's clear. He's one of the worst shooters on this team, and straight up, uh, he's he's taken some of the most field goal attempts on on the team. He's second on the team in field goal attempts behind uh, Antonio Reeves, and at least Antonio Reeves shoots well from three. I mean, my goodness, Jacob, uh, he, there, he's got to find a way to get out of this slump and. We thought heading into this year, after what we saw him do against against all those teams in the Bahamas, we expected him to maybe take a little bit of a step forward, right? And that's not happened. And the presumption for me was, whenever we discussed his player profile heading into the season, that, hey, he's going to get some opportunities here in this non-con slate to kind of really fine-tune some things. Get comfortable. Do what you were doing in the Bahamas and really get comfortable against some better competition. He's not done that. Kentucky needs him to be better down the stretch. They need him to perform. And I, I, I can't, is he going to do that? I'm not going to sit here and tell you whether or not he is or he isn't because I don't know. We don't know. Kentucky could lose all their games. They could win them all. We don't know. But Jacob Toppin, it has to be better. That is one of the weakest positions on this team. In fact, I would probably argue that it is the weakest because even Severe Wheeler does what a point guard does well. Antonio Reeves does what a shooting guard does well. Chris Livingston at the three does really does what a small forward does well. You know, like you, you've got to find ways to get Jacob Toppin better shots or tell him to stop taking the ones that he's taking because it's not working. You remember Keon Brooks, right? You remember Keon? He's currently at Washington and he's averaging like 16 a game. In his most recent game against Auburn, he took probably half a million shots. He probably took half a million shots, and he only hit just a few of them. In fact, I'll pull it up for you right here. Keon Brooks was 5 of 11 from the floor. No, 5 of 11 from inside the arc, 1 of 5 from outside the arc. So dude was 6 of 16. And you may look at his overall stats and say, oh, look, he's averaging 16 a night, you know. He's, um, he's averaging this many rebounds, this many points, this many assists. 
He's he's just for for that team. He's just their go to guy. He's the ball hog, and I I know that's a negative uh, connotation there, but he he's the one that gets the ball and he holds on to it and he shoots it. And just because you have really good counting stats does not mean that your efficiencies are, you know, acceptable. And so for Jacob Toppin to be averaging almost eleven a game, but but shooting as poorly as he is, it's not acceptable. It needs to be better. And I'm not sitting here criticizing his character. I'm not sitting sitting here criticizing who he is as a person. He's an insane athlete. We all know that. But he's got to be better with a shot selection. I think that's what it comes down to at the end of the day. All right, I've got some thoughts about this Florida A&M game. Uh, I, I set some parameters about uh, around this one, and Kentucky accomplished that. Before I get to kind of breaking it down, though, as we finally head into this Christmas weekend, just want to remind you guys, if you're watching on YouTube, please subscribe to the channel. It would mean a ton to us here at Locked On Kentucky. We are really, really close to 2,800 subs. Let's see if we can get there. Again, really appreciate everybody that's been leaving reviews, been commenting. Really, really enjoyed uh, some of the conversations that we've had, uh, not just on YouTube and podcasts, but also on social media. If you want to follow the socials, at Locked On UK on Twitter is where I primarily reside. Again, thanks so much to everybody out there supporting the show. All right, wrapping up the Friday edition of Locked On Kentucky, Florida A&M 68, Kentucky 88. On the surface, it may not seem that bad of a game, right? 88 points for the Wildcats. I said they needed to score at least 80. They did that, and they were very efficient in doing so. But there are some question marks, uh, some just kind of moments where I'm just like, what? Like, why, why did this happen? And let's start with that 68 points. So the Rattlers, in case you are wondering, are one of the worst teams in the country. If you did not watch our preview episode uh, just the other day, Kentucky played one of the worst opponents in the entire nation. In fact, I can go ahead and count it up for you. They have scored more than 68 points uh, one time. That would be one time, Bill, uh, before they played the Wildcats. And it was in a game against Albany State who is, I don't even know if they're Division One. to be honest with you. I don't think they are. They won that game in overtime. Scored 70. Albany State scored 65. According to Kim Palm, they are one of the worst offensive teams in the country. In fact, they are the third worst. No, I'm sorry. They are the fifth worst offensive team in terms of adjusted efficiency. They had not scored 32 points up until they played the Wildcats in a half. At halftime, it was 42-32 to in favor of Kentucky. They shot 52% from the floor, and get this, they shot 56% from three. They shoot 40% from, the, from inside the arc, and they shoot 32.3 from outside on average. They shot 87.5% from the foul line. They had less turnover. Nope, they did not have less turnovers. I'm sorry, I thought Kentucky had 15. They had 12 turnovers, only 12 even though they turned the ball over on 26% of possessions. Let that one sink in. I'm just going over some of, the overall, some of the overall numbers here, but you had to watch it to kind of understand why it happened. So Kentucky decided to rotate in. Some other guys took half their starting lineup out in this game. It was Chris Livingston and Lance Ware uh, instead of Jacob Toppin uh, starting for the Wildcats in this one. So it was Livingston, Ware, Shebae, Wheeler, and Wallace. Wallace played the most minutes out of anybody, actually. He played 31 and was really, really good. I want to get to him in just a second. But Cal spoke 
in the post game against UCLA about how the team lacked toughness. Talked about that recently. And then immediately following that, he decides in the next game to pull half his starting lineup and I guess essentially tell them that they don't have to go so hard on defense. And don't you sit here and tell me, no, he told them to go as hard as possible. Go back and watch that game, okay? You don't pull two of your players in your starting rotation against a team that you're supposed to beat by 31, according to the lines, expecting the team to just give it all, they're all on defense, okay? There was, there, there was a specific scout put in place to say, here's how we're going to run this rotation. We're not going to play tough defense because of what's coming up. We're going to rest a little bit, and we're just going to let things rock. In fact, Oscar Sheboy only took six shots in this game. Six. They just, they just let things kind of be. They let Casey Wallace shine, and they let the rest of the team just kind of rock. C.J. Frederick played really good off the bench. Antonio Reeves shot terribly but had 10 points. Wallace was 10 of 15 from the floor, 5 of 6 from 3. He had 9 assists, 4 steals. Again, I'm telling you, if you give this, if you give this kid minutes, he's going to shine. He's not going to do that against every single team. Again, this was Florida A&M, for crying out loud. But... <sighs> Cal talks about toughness one game and then the next he just doesn't let the he doesn't coach them to be tough. He doesn't he, he just uh, like be do what you want on the offensive end and let them do whatever the heck they want. I, I I don't understand that philosophy because here's the thing. It's one of the worst teams in the country, right? That 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 much is clear. They were terrible. They looked awful whenever Kentucky wanted to actually apply some pressure. Kentucky got off to, uh, out to a really hot start in this game. And then the mentality, I guess, kind of set him like, oh, we're going to beat this team. It's whatever. You can't preach one thing and then do the opposite, regardless of whatever the opponent is. The hallmark of a great team is a team that coaches one thing and says the exact same thing in their presser before and after games. You look at the Georgia Bulldogs. They teach toughness. They teach really, really sound defense. They teach aggression. And what do they do against every single opponent that they play? They play hard. They fight. Every single opponent does not matter how bad they are or how good they are. They are going to curb stomp them every single time they step out onto the field. Kentucky basketball, is are they losing their edge? I think, is that a question we have to ask at this point? Is Cal losing his edge as a coach? Is the toughness just disappearing? Withering away, because apparently against any team, you can just, oh, I don't know, give up 68 points when the team's only done it once. And I'm not hung up on the 68 points. What I'm hung up on is the fact that you just let it, you just let it go. This was like a nine-point game at some point in the second half, if I'm not mistaken. It was a nine-point game. You were favored by 30, you won by 20. And it was, you were lucky to get to that point at the end of the game. You were lucky to get to that point. Because you had some players hit some shots that they probably should not have hit. I mean, what what do you do at this point as a coach? Like, why is this the standard that you're setting? And again, I want to reiterate, so happy that Kentucky won. Better to win than to lose. And I'm not going to sit here and say a, a win is a win because I don't believe in that philosophy, especially not with what Kentucky is trying to do to get to the NCAA tournament. I hope you guys understand. If we go 19, if we go 20 and 13, if we go 20 and 12, 20 and 11, something like that, and we don't step it up against the big boys on our schedule, we're going to have a tough time getting a really, a really good spot in the NCAA tournament. You are not going to get good seating if you do not beat good teams. Welcome to the net rankings. Welcome to bracketology. 
You've got to win the games that matter. I do not care that a win is a win. You've got to beat the teams on your schedule that are good, and you've got to beat the teams that are bad on your schedule by as much as possible. Because now, numbers are everything. In college football, college basketball, numbers are everything. How you beat an opponent is incredibly important. And look, it was a 20-point win, so this is probably not going to be a big talking point on anybody's notes whenever the NCAA tournament collect whatever committee gets together and and defines the seating. But for us as fans, I think this is something that we should be paying a little bit more attention to because of how this game unfolded against the the opponent that it unfolded against. I think it's unacceptable the way that this team is being coached right now in terms of physicality and defense and toughness because you can say, we need more toughness, we need more physicality, we need more this, we need more that. Brother, you had a whole offseason to put that together. Don't sit here and tell me that it's all of a sudden difficult to get this team to play with toughness. You've been doing it for, for a decade. Why is all of a sudden it just disappearing? You needed more toughness against UCLA. They scored 63 points. It's one of the better offenses in the country. What are you talking about? I, I don't. I do not understand some of the complaints that Cal had. And don't even get me started with the it's getting tougher to play here or, or coach here or whatever the heck he said. Expect better. Expect better performances. As, fan, as a fan base, we need to expect better from this coaching staff. I, I do not get it. I do not understand it. That's going to do it for today's episode of Locked On Kentucky. I'm so frustrated and fed up with the way that this coaching staff has just kind of handled things. You can follow the show on Twitter at Locked On UK. If you want to get mad in the comments at me, with me, whatever you want to do, it's perfectly fine. At Locked On UK on Twitter, at Kentucky Podcast on Instagram. You can also follow me on Twitter at LanceDell underscore. Any questions, comments, concerns, leave them in the YouTube comments below. Uh, I'm so f- sad that I, that I got fired up here at the end of the episode. I mean, I, went, I meant to go in, but just not that hard. <laughs> Uh, again, I will see you all on Monday. Hope you guys have a Merry Christmas uh, and God and God bless. Really appreciate you guys listening. <laughs>